Let's open up to Luke chapter 17. As today I'd like to share with you a message entitled An Attitude of Gratitude. This last Thursday we celebrated Thanksgiving as a nation and I you know I hope everyone was blessed as you got together with family, friends. I'm sure you experienced some fellowship, fun, and food, right? But even more important than that, you guys, I actually pray that we took some time to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. You know, it's something that we should do really every day of every year. But in one sense, it was that time of year to be able to give thanks and, and to be grateful. And I just don't want to miss it. You know, part of the reason that I was led, I think, to share this study with you is because, believe it or not, if you can cultivate an attitude of gratitude, if you can cultivate a heart of thanksgiving, you will be blessed. You know, if you're a complainer, if you're a whiner, if you're overly critical, if you don't have a, a grateful heart, even in the midst of all the trials and struggles and challenges you face, then you are no, you'll never be a happy person. You know, it's interesting how we say happy Thanksgiving, right? That was the phrase that they use. When in all reality, Thanksgiving is what makes you happy. You know, scientists tell us, sociologists tell us, but even the Bible tells us really that that grateful heart is what cultivates something that's beautiful within us. You know, I read a story of a man who had a dream and in the dream, he found a barn where Satan kept his seeds ready to sow. The man found that within that barn, there were seeds of doubt and discouragement and dissatisfaction, defeat, and even depression. And there were seeds that were more numerous than all the others. And he learned basically that those seeds could be made to grow in almost any human heart. So when the man left the barn, he asked the Lord about those seeds that led to weeds, thinking about the damage they do. And God's reply was that there was one place in which the devil could never allow those seeds to grow. They would never survive or thrive. And the man asked God, well, where is that place? And the Lord said, within the heart of a grateful person. John Miller said how happy a person is depends upon the depth of his gratitude. And G.K. Chesterton said, when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. You know, sometimes we get blessed, you name it, with things. I mean, what's, who do you think is more, more grateful? The wealthy man who daily has his filet mignon or the hungry, hungry man who stumbles across a morsel of food? It's the, it's the hungry man. It's the one who doesn't take things for granted, who counts their blessings. It doesn't take a lot of time to count our blessings, but it does take time. That's why we can't just say, well, Thanksgiving was here and now it's gone and now I'm off to the mall and I'm going to do my shopping. No, uh, let's not miss this. You know, the last thing that we want to do is to celebrate Thanksgiving without truly giving thanks. You know, Thanksgiving is expected of us, and Thanksgiving is good for us. So I thought before we, you know, switch gears and rush off to do the Christmas thing, 
let's search our hearts and let's make sure that we have cultivated an attitude of gratitude. Because if you think about it, the only thing worse, I think, than really giving thanks on Thanksgiving is celebrating Christmas without Christ. But you know what? A lot of people do both. I think it's appropriate that just right before we celebrate the coming of our Savior, the birth of Jesus, as we take this time, let it not be just a day of family, friends, fellowship, fun, and food. Let it truly be a time, a season of thanksgiving. So today I'd like to share with you really the staple story on gratitude found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 17. And uh, I'd like to share six things with you from our text. And so notice what we read in Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, isn't this cool? They were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And so Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. I'd like to share six things from our text, and I'm sure there's a million other things that we can glean from it. But number one is the realization of thanksgiving. And we all, no matter what your situation is, if you're a Christian especially, but no matter who you are, we should all come to that place of realization to realize, I, I need to give God thanks. So realization. Number two is the declaration of thanksgiving. I love the way the guy lifted up his voice loud and gave thanks. Number three is the adoration of thanksgiving. Isn't it cool how the man returned and he fell at Jesus' feet and he worshipped him, he glorified God? I'll tell you what, that's what thanksgiving is. It's worship. Then number four, the identification of thanksgiving. We're going to see how Jesus identified him as a Samaritan, as, an, as a foreigner, not to put him down, but to lift him up. And then number five, the expectation of thanksgiving. Imagine, you know, your kids, you know, you give them something and they, they don't say thank you. We expect them to say thank you, right, when we do things for them. Imagine God is the same way. So there is this expectation of thanksgiving. But, but the last thing is that, we, you know, thanksgiving is expected of us because it's good for us. And that is the benediction of thanksgiving. In the end right there, Jesus said, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Benediction is a blessing to dismiss people and when they, it's a brief one, and as they, this man went his way, Jesus blessed him. They were all healed, just like all Christians are cleansed, all Christians are healed. But not all of them received that blessing that that Samaritan foreigner that received that day 
because his faith brought him to the point of gratitude. And so I pray that we would learn from these things, but first the realization of thanksgiving. And we see here in our text that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And Luke tells us that Jesus passed through Samaria and Galilee, more than likely wanting to communicate to us that the ten lepers was more than likely a mixture of Samaritans and Galileans. Now the Galileans would be Jews who were a little bit more uh, cultured in the Grecian ways. They lived a little distant from Jerusalem, and so they were, however, Jews living far, but the Samaritans were considered to be a mixed breed, part Jew and part uh, foreign race. The Assyrians had come in, they conquered the uh, northern kingdom, they took them away, they brought in different nations, so basically they were half-breeds. And so the Jews, oftentimes, especially the, the Pharisees or the religious Jews who were cultured in their Hebrew culture, they oftentimes looked down on the Samaritans and despised them to the point that they were even uh, spoken of in a derogatory sense. As if you wanted to call someone a bad name, you call them a Samaritan. And in John chapter 4, verse 9, the Bible says the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You know, something that's interesting, just as a quick side note, is that uh, the Bible lifts up the Samaritans in two ways. Number one, we have the story of the good Samaritan. And then number two, we have the story of the grateful Samaritan. And we're going to see how that kind of means something. And so anyways, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And as he's on his way, these 10 men who are a mixture of Galileans and Samaritans, pretty way out there from a religious perspective, that being bad, but that's not even the worst of it. We read here in verse 12 that these men were lepers. Who approached Jesus not leprechauns okay lepers right and you know you might think well what's a what's a leper uh, an interesting uh, disease uh, today it's known as Hansen's disease because of the discovery in 1873 by a physician but thanks to his research the disease is now treatable but back then uh, there was no cure there was no cure for leprosy uh, apart from divine intervention uh, the symptoms of leprosy included tumors on the face and body. The disease was systemic, involving the internal organs as well as the skin and the deformity of hands and feet. You know, one of the worst things about leprosy is that the sensory nerves were affected so that you couldn't even feel. You'd lose your sense of touch. And so you could burn your hand, pierce your hand, hit your hand. It wouldn't even matter. You couldn't feel it. And oftentimes that led to the loss of limbs or even life. Leprosy in those days was greatly feared by the people of Israel, not only because of the physical uh, this damage done by the disease, but also because of the strict isolation or quarantine laws that made the lepers outcasts in society. According to Jewish civil law, they were required to practice an extreme form of social distancing uh, numbers, I think it's Numbers 5, it says that they had to live outside the camp. They had to use their hands to cover their mustache whenever they spoke. Uh, it says in Luke 13, I mean Leviticus 13.45, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn, his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry unclean 
unclean. So wherever they would go, if there was anyone around, they'd have to keep their distance and they would have to cover their mouth and say, unclean, unclean, isolated, diseased, without hope. That was their life. They were not allowed into the temple. And so imagine, uh, really, uh, for a leper, I mean, you know, it's like, what's there to live for? But then again, what's there to die for? Because if they weren't accepted into the temple, what would make them think they'd be accepted into heaven? So that was the dilemma. That was the life of a leper. And that was our life. That was our life apart from Christ. You know, when you read in the Bible about how the Lord healed the the lame man, that was us. We couldn't walk. And when you hear in the Bible about the Lord healing the blind man, that was us. We couldn't see. We couldn't hear. We couldn't speak. All those are stories of us. And this leper, these lepers, this is us. This was the condition of where we were. The leper was the poster child for hopelessness. Until somewhere along the road, somewhere in their journey, somewhere in their life, they heard about the one named Jesus. The one named Jesus who not only healed lepers, he touched lepers. And as one day they hear he's coming through their land, and then they see him, what does the Bible say? And I love what it says, what they did. Look at verse 13, if you would again. It says, and, I, and, they, and they lifted up their voices. In other words, they got loud. And they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And I'll be honest with you guys. You know, that's all you have to say. That's all you have to say. You know, some of you here today, you know, you might not even be Christians. You might not even be saved. And you want to know how I know that you're not Christian or how you should know you're not a Christian? Because you probably don't even want to be here. You don't want to listen to a Bible study. You don't want to pray. You don't want to read. You don't want to give to God. That probably means you're not saved. When you're saved, you have a burden for the lost. When you're saved, you have a hunger for God's word. When you're saved, you want to pray. I'm not saying like every, you know, all the time, something crazy, but man, you got to acknowledge where you are spiritually, your geography. Where are you? You know, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, you're like, well, how do I get to know the Lord? How, how can I have hope? This is all you got to do. Say this, but say it from your heart. Jesus, the one who died for me and rose again, Jesus, master. Is he the master of your life or you choose to sin? You're going to do your own thing. Well, I would like to go to heaven, but you know what? I got a girlfriend and we, you know, have fun together. Well, then you choose her over God. Jesus, master, Lord. He has to be the Lord of your life. Calling the shots. You don't do what you want to do. You do what he wants you to do. It's very simple. Jesus, master. Here it is. Have mercy. On me. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And, and you know, some people they think, well, I'm a pretty good person, and you know, I'm sure you know God will take all that into account. You know, I gave $25 last week or something, you know, I did something good. Listen, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and sin separates us from God. We all deserve hell forever. 
That's what we deserve. We deserve judgment. We all deserve that. But when you come to that place in your life, and we all have to get there, there's no way we can be saved from a, apart from that. When you understand that you're a sinner, separated from God, deserving of hell, not forever. When you understand that what sin is, is a diecast, you know, a rebellion against God. Then you come to him and you say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. And if you say that from your heart, you want to know something? Jesus will hear you. And that's what happened with these lepers right here. It's just so cool. Jesus heard their cry and he answered their prayer. And what does he do? Notice it's, it's very simple. What we read here in Luke chapter 17 and verse 14. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. You know, it was the priest who would make the final formal declaration of cleansing in the life of a leper, and it would be a testimony to them as well. But imagine that, you guys. I mean, you got a disease. I don't know, something crazy. And the Lord just says, hey, you know, I want you to just walk in that direction. You start walking in that direction. And as you're walking, imagine the disease is just taken away, and you're cleansed. And that's what God has done for us. Even though we are so wretched and wicked and filthy and fall short, and I wish I didn't have these thoughts, and I wish I didn't have this sin nature, and I wish I wasn't inclined in that direction, even though we have that about us, when the Lord looks at us after you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are clean, you are forgiven. That's what happened with these guys. Imagine that. And this is such a beautiful thing to understand who you are in Christ and the simplicity of it. Our dilemma, our hopelessness. We were on that slippery slope without hope, but he came in and he rescued us and he cleansed us and he reconciled us. He redeemed us, not with silver or gold or perishable things, but with the blood of his son, he washed us clean and made us white as snow. Now, when we see this whole story right here in Luke chapter 17 about these lepers, it's about Christians. It's about us. It's about me. It's about you. And all we did one day, and I don't know when it was, but all I know was a moment in time. It wasn't a process. It wasn't something you had to, to earn over a period of days or weeks or months or years. No, in a sliver of a second, the twinkling of an eye, you were redeemed. You were right there and then saved, just like them. And as a result of that, we're going to see that this one guy, he realizes, hey, I have a lot to be grateful for. And, and that's where it begins. If you're living a life of sin and, and compromise, and you got one foot in and one foot out, and you're half-hearted, and you're not sold out and surrendered, and you're bitter, and you're a complainer, and you're a whiner, and you're one of those, man... You, you don't realize, you don't remember that you were this crazy, hopeless leper, so separated, and, and Jesus cleansed you. See, it all begins with that realization. I was a leper without hope, but Jesus cleansed me. 
You know, a true Christian, it's been said, is a person who never forgets what God has done for them in Christ and whose whole comportment and whole activity have their root in the sentiment of gratitude. Believe it or not. You know, we could change everything if today, no matter what your situation is or was, or you're like looking at the world and all you can see is bad in the world, I understand there's a lot of evil and wickedness and craziness going on, but you know what? Somewhere in there as a Christian, even in the midst of trials, you have to say, thank you, God. Count it all joy, the Bible says in James chapter 1, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, it says, in everything, give thanks. In everything, not for everything. We can't say thank you for everything, but we can say while we're in the midst of it, in everything give thanks. Why? Because Romans 8.28 says, God works all things together for good. You know, if you don't come to that place of, of realizing how much you have to be grateful for, you will always be bitter, ungrateful, critical, Complain, you will never, ever be happy. And, and to me, and I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I don't know, I think God wants us to be happy. There is this thing even written within our laws of the pursuit of, of happiness. God wants us to be happy. So happy Thanksgiving to me, you got to switch the words around and you have to say Thanksgiving leads to happiness. Thank you, Lord, um, the other while back. And I, I feel bad for my friends. It happens to all of us, but their car got, got hit. It got totaled. And, uh, and so the first thing I saw when their car got hit and totaled, I was just thankful that they weren't in it. Thank you, Lord, that they weren't in it. You know, um, these, we've got a few pastors that have had uh, the virus, and some might be all like upset and bitter. I can't believe Henry got it or Mark got it or Rich got it. These are good guys and they got it. But you know what? They're, they're better because the pastor in Downey, he died. I'm grateful for the Lord showing mercy. You have to be grateful. If that doesn't mean anything to you, if that's like, oh, well, no big deal, ain't no thing. You know what? Then something's wrong. You know, even this year, 2020, you know, my dad some may say, you know, how can you be thankful for this year? Your dad died. My dad died this year. But I'm thankful. Want to know why? He's in heaven. There's always something to be thankful about. Why? Because, you know, the Lord works all things together for good. And, and when we look at this, someone can say to you, and this is something maybe that we can start cultivating how are you today? How are you? And this is what you need to say. I'm great. I'm grateful <laughs> that God hasn't given me what I deserve, that God has extended to me mercy. You know, a lot of times prideful people are not happy people. You want to know why? Because they think they deserve much better. Humble people or honest people know what they deserve. So it all begins, and that's the longest one uh, out of all the six points I'm going to share with you today. It all begins with, with realizing 
that we have so much to be grateful for, whether it be the past of our salvation or the present, God's working in us, and then in the future, how God's going to take everything together. Rome, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, that even the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. So number one is, is, is realization of thanksgiving. Number two is the declaration of thanksgiving. And look again at verse 15, if you would. It says, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God. You know, it's the declaration of thanksgiving. I, I think, um, I don't know why, I don't want to pick on Mark, but I think I hear him say that a lot. He'll just come up here and say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> You know, and no matter what it is, something happens, you, you say thank you, maybe the volume will be raised up, or just maybe you're going to get the message out eventually, whether it's articulated specifically, which I think it should be, but somehow you end up being someone who, with your voice, make a choice to say thank you, Lord. I see the silver lining in that cloud. I see, Lord, what you have done that's good. And you do it by faith even. It's interesting. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, praying always. And then verse 18 says, and everything give thanks. So it combines prayer with thanksgiving. Philippians 4 does the same thing. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And basically, it's kind of cool because it's basically saying with your voice, you can make that choice, you can pray, and as you pray, you're just thanking God. You're thanking, you're not doubting, you're thanking Him because you know He will answer you. And you're already thanking Him for the answer. So the whole voice and choice and declaration of thanksgiving is so important. And make it loud. Let the Lord hear you. Let Him hear you say, thank you, Lord. Some of you here, like I was wondering about the leper, you know, so I was thinking, well, maybe it just kind of happened naturally, you know, that he just, all of a sudden, boom, he just split. Maybe he thought it out. Did you know that in the original etymology of the word uh, thankful, uh, the word thank is the word think? And sometimes the reason people are not thankful is because they're not thinkful. You know what I'm talking about? And that's why it's important for you, and it's been said, to take some time to count your blessings. I know little things. Like I you know, read a story of a man, a rich man, who was 46 years old, and he died. And I don't know how that hits you, but every time I read about somebody dying, especially if they're younger than me, I'm like, wow, Lord, I'm already, you know, 47. No, I'm just, I'm older than that. And I'm still around. For a long time, we didn't have any heat in our house. Well, not for a long time. It, it's a, for a long time, we didn't have any hot water in a certain section of our house. And that was a drag, but now we do. And so every time I turn on that hot water, I'm like, Lord, thank you for the hot water. Sometimes you're not thankful for something. You can't be thankful unless it's taken away. You know, uh, for a while there, uh, like I said, we didn't have a heater and uh, I remember when it got fixed, you know, I was all thankful. Things are so, I mean, you know, the little things, like 
uh, in my house, I've noticed that I wish sometimes I was a pastor, I mean a plumber, rather than a pastor, because man, we're always getting these leaks in our house. And you know, and so finally when you fix that faucet and you turn it off and it's not leaking, you're thankful, even for things like that. Why? Because, you know, not everybody has those types of things. Not everybody has running water. Not everybody has a toilet. But not everyone's used to stuff like that. So the realization, and, and then the declaration, and then the, the next thing is the adoration of thanksgiving. Look at verse 16, if you would. It says that he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. I think that it would be right, it would be biblically accurate to say that thanksgiving and worship or thanksgiving and adoration are synonymous. And we see that here with this man, huh? As he comes up, you know, imagine he comes to his senses, he realizes that he has to go thank the one, the one who healed him, Jesus, and he goes and with a loud voice, it's a declaration, thank you, Jesus, thank you, God. It's loud with that declaration, and then he falls on his face, at his feet, Jesus' feet, with this adoration, right? No doubt about it. You know, that, that's how worship really happens is when you realize all these things like i was a leper lost without hope on that slope but god rescued me god redeemed me washed me clean with his blood he healed me and it's just so cool and then that ends up happening is the reaction that's the response and i'm telling you this you guys that a life of of of, of honoring god a life of serving god that's that's worship Worship is not just singing a song here and there. Worship is that response, that adoration, where you find yourself where? At Jesus' feet. I mean, you're on your face. You know, and I think it's good for Christians every once in a while, if not every day. You know, some of you guys, you're, you're physically able to. Some of you aren't. If you're physically able to get on your face, you should get on your face. You find a place where you can be alone with the Lord, get there on his, at his feet. Now, in the Bible, whenever you're at someone's, at, at someone's feet, it was uh, basically, it was a word that basically described that you're their disciple. And so, like Paul was raised up at the feet of Gamaliel. He was his disciple. He learned from him. He became like him in a certain sense. When we're a disciple of Christ, we'll be there at his feet, learning. Why? Why would you do that, Manny? Why would you spend your whole life trying to learn from him? Because he died for me. He did. And that's gratitude. You know, the world that we live in, most of the world and most of the church, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the percentage. The 9 out of 10 Christians are probably not as grateful to God as they should be. And that's probably, you know, descriptive in the, in the fact that only one out of ten really serve, only one out of ten really give to God. And so we see that here demonstrated, and I think this is really the, the teaching for us to understand. 
you know, the realization of thanksgiving, so much to be grateful for, past, present, and future. The declaration of thanksgiving. And when you say thank you to Jesus, let it be loud. And the adoration of Jesus as you're worshiping him on your face, at his feet, being his disciple. And then the identification of thanksgiving. Look, if you would, at 16, Luke 17, verse 16. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. In verse 18, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now, you, you may wonder, well, why did Jesus identify them as a Samaritan? Why did Jesus identify him as a foreigner? And, and I think the reason is, and again, like I said earlier, not to put them down, but to lift them up and to lift them up. And as a matter of fact, in front of all those Pharisees, in front of all those Sadducees, in front of all those religious, self-righteous people, the ones who you know, were there and they maybe even lived or worked at the temple. And he said, God said, God said, I'm more impressed with the Good Samaritan than I am you, Mr. Priest who walked by, or Mr. Levite who walked by, the one that was in need. I'm more impressed with the Good Samaritan who showed love, not just religion, and I'm more impressed with the Samaritan. I'm more impressed with the foreigner who showed gratitude. See, that's the, the thing that we have to cultivate. We have to be so careful that it's not just some superficial religion. Because some people think, well, I read my Bible, I pray, I go to church. And like I share with you, those are things that we should be doing. Don't get me wrong. But they got to be real. When you pray, you've got to connect with God. When you read your Bible, he's got to speak to you. When you come to fellowship here, you've got to open your hearts and listen. And you have to be willing to talk to people about things that are spiritual. There has to be genuine fellowship going on. Otherwise, it's just religion. And the Lord right here basically is, that's what he's trying to say as he's lifting up the Samaritan, as he's lifting up the foreigner. And he's telling the Jews and he's telling the self-righteous Pharisees, that's what impresses me. You know, when they came to Jesus and they said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the, the scribe said, well, who's my neighbor? And that's when he's told the story of the good Samaritan. Listen, your Christianity must be very, very practical. Loving people by helping people. Loving God by expressing genuine gratitude to him. You know, one of the things that's crazy is that Jesus said to the Pharisees that the tax collectors and the, and the harlots enter into heaven before they do. And so we have to have this understanding lest we find ourselves, you know, confident that, well, I went to church. Yeah, not everybody who goes to church goes to heaven. You know, John the Baptist said, the axe is now laid to the root of the tree. And you guys who say that you're descendants of Abraham bear fruits worthy of repentance. Real quick, the next few things are the expectation of thanksgiving. And we see that in Jesus' words in verse 17 and 18. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten clans, but where are the nine? Were there not any found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? I mean, he is tripping out, I, I think. Where are they? 
Where are they? Where's, where are the grateful people? I mean, I cleaned, you know, cleansed 10 of them. Only one comes back. And again, I think that the Lord shares with us this story, not just for information, not just some historical thing. Well, look what happened. No, he's really trying to challenge us. Make sure you're not one of the nine. Make sure you're one of those who gives thanksgiving. Because a lot of times what happens, even in the church, and I think we see it in the world, is people are, they feel so entitled. They feel like, you know, everybody owes them everything. Their parents owe them everything. The church owes them everything, or whoever it is owes them. No, it doesn't work that way. We've already talked about the fact of what we really deserve, but, but, but an ungrateful person, oh man, it would be, you know, like some of your parents, imagine if, you know, you give something to your kids, or one of your friends gives something to your kids, and don't even say thank you. Henry Ward Beecher said, a proud man is never a grateful man. He never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. And William Shakespeare said, how sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. But there are many out there. 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2, it says that in the last days, people will be unthankful. And we see the same thing in Romans 1, 20 through 21, which leaves us to our last point. And that is the benediction of thanksgiving. How Jesus said in verse 18, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And, and you know, you look at that right there and you're like, well, wait a minute, all 10 of them got well. But this is more. This is more than just physical healing. This is spiritual healing. This is emotional healing. This is lifelong healing. Some of you guys, by nature, maybe you're more grateful just naturally. Others of you, you're just not that way. You're not wired that way. My encouragement to you is to get rewired. <laughs> My encouragement to you is just begin to say it. Just thank you, Jesus. Thank you in the trials. Not for that, but in everything. Thank you, Lord, because I know you've got something good going on. You know, we care about you. I care about you. I want you guys to smile and laugh. And I think in many ways God does want us to be holy and happy. And this is how it's done, by being grateful. You know, a benediction is a short blessing at the end of public worship. And it's something that promotes the goodness or well-being of another. You see, gratitude is expected of us because... In many ways, gratitude is good for us. So Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And you can thank God, even in this crazy time that we live in. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Because I know somehow, some way, someday, you're working it together for good. Because I am so confident in the fact that you are truly on the throne no matter who rules in the kingdom of men. You know, gratitude, the benediction, blessings of thanksgiving, it opens the doors to more relationships, better relationships. Gratitude improves physical health. Grateful people uh, are better mentally. Gratitude enhances empathy, reduces aggression. Grateful people even sleep better and longer. There's an exercise they say that before you go to sleep, just spend maybe five, ten minutes and write down a few things that you're grateful for that happened that day. And as you do that, 
you watch what God will do. He'll bless you guys. And so, so much rooted in Thanksgiving that I didn't want to just, you know, have it come and go. And I had my family, and I had my friends, and I had my fellowship, and I had my fun, and I had my food. But I didn't have my Thanksgiving. I encourage you, take some time to count your blessings. And if for some reason you have a hard time, you know, being grateful, then you can pray this prayer. This one prayer that George Herbert prayed. He said, Thou hast given so much to me. Give me one more thing. A grateful heart. Not thankful when it pleases me as if thy blessings had spare days, but such a heart whose pulse may be thy praise. I'll tell you what, man. You become a grateful person. You won't be bitter. You won't be spiteful. You will be blessed. You watch what God does. But it all begins in Romans 1. It talks about that. It all begins by even the, the person who's not yet a Christian, even them being grateful because God made you. And my prayer is that if you're here or if you're watching and you are not yet a Christian, our hearts go out to you the most because you are making an eternal decision of where you will be, either with or without God, either heaven or hell. This is not a game. We are not playing church. Your eternity hangs in the balance. Have you really prayed that prayer honestly? Have you said it? Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. If you haven't, please do that today from your heart.